Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Whatever the Weather. I'm Katie Blake, and this week Sarah Spivey and I are diving into the topic of El Nino. Sarah's going to break down what El Nino is, how it got its name, and some big historical events relating to this phenomenon. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about what this can mean for weather patterns in North America and the United States, even how it's related to hurricane season. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn all about El Nino. I've been giving you a really hard time, haven't I? Yes. It's feel like a bird in a cage. Well, Katie wears these <laughs> necklaces that just jingle, jangle, jingle, jangle around her microphone. But she took her necklace off. I took so. it off, so there will be no jingle, jangling. And I'm also going to make an effort to speak louder, because I'm naturally soft-spoken. That's too loud. <laughs> Got to find the perfect balance. Guys, I listened to last week's today. Yeah. And I found my, I kept turning up the volume, I think because I speak too softly. So I'm making an effort okay. to speak louder today without shouting. The thing is shouting. you've got to have like a radio voice. Like, so you've got to be like, in the weather today, there is a small chance for showers east of San Antonio. That's not how you talk on TV. a 75 degree heat index. I do declare this is I too much. I do declare this <laughs> is too much. <laughs> okay. Wow, we've been goofy for the first part of this. Very goofy today. This is actually we whatever. Pull it together. We'll pull it together, Katie. This is Whatever the Weather, the podcast. And Katie and I are currently sitting in Studio B of Case Out 12, which um, is a little bit messy. I can currently see Christmas decorations, poinsettias. There's a lot going on in here. It's a lot. Uh, candy cane wrapper. So I guess we're going for a Christmas theme. This is kind of also a storage room right now. And where they put Katie and I for this podcast. It's silent. It's quiet. <laughs> it is quiet. So we've had some pretty big weather news over the last, you know, week or so. Yeah. It was late last week. Late last week, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, whose acronym is NOAA. NOAA. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Like, and the ark, Noah and the ark, which I always thought was cute. Um, has cute. Noah has gone ahead and said, hey, we're actually in a weak El Nino pattern. <laughs> I saw on Twitter, another meteorologist was like, this is Noah. I declare El Nino. <laughs> like, I, I declare. declare an El Nino. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So, um, oh, I hit some buttons there. I think we're good. Um, so... El Nino is interesting, right? Because for many people, especially those who watch Saturday Night Live, it conjures up Chris Farley in like folklorico outfit. Yes. Saying <laughs> El Nino stands for the Nino. Yeah, um, Spanish for the Nino. And, as long as, I mean, that's a joke, right? Yeah. But it kind of goes to show that many people actually don't know right. what El Nino is. It's a, El Nino and La Nina, that whole idea is not the easiest to understand. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we spend a lot of time on in school because it's not, it's a big ripple effect almost. Yeah. One thing causes another, which causes another, and it's it's a global pattern. So it's happening over a large scale and over a 
fairly long scale of time, months yeah. and even years. So it's something that is still being studied very extensively. Right, and so Katie has done a great job of, uh, by explaining that, now putting the pressure on me Sorry. to explain El Nino you in a short amount of time. This. Thank you. El Nino means the Nino. <laughs> Nino. Best thing. Best. Okay. Well, let's get into the science yeah. of it. Like I said, El Nino is a global phenomenon. Like you said, actually, El Nino is a global phenomenon. So a lot of this information that I got is from like our textbooks, things like that, but also a lot of it is from NOAA itself and research from Washington University, okay? okay? So El Nino is a naturally occurring weather phenomenon that affects the temperature of the Pacific Ocean, thus affecting the atmosphere above it. Okay. What many people don't know is that the oceans really guide our atmosphere in a lot of ways. Think of it like this, okay? The oceans cover 70% of the surface area of the earth. Mm -hmm. That is impressive. Land is only 30%, okay? So whatever happens to the oceans is going to happen to the rest of the world. Now, also, I like to think of it like this. When you were in, like, a kid, Katie, mm -hmm. did you ever do those, like, liquid density experiments, like having water and then oil on top of the yes. water? Yeah. Okay. So oil floats, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that you can kind of think about it is our atmosphere is actually a fluid. It's constantly moving. It's made of gases, but in science terms, it's considered a fluid. Mm -hmm. So you can think of the ocean like the water in uh, that experiment and the atmosphere kind of like the oil it's a flowing liquid that floats on the ocean mm -hmm. okay and anything that you do to the water at the at the bottom is going to affect the oil at the top and that's kind of why el nino or a change in surface temperatures on the ocean has a big effect on our atmosphere around the world okay that makes sense yeah Okay, and what a lot of people actually don't know as well is that El Nino is a change from what naturally or normally occurs. El Nino is something that is a big, a big difference there. So first we have to talk about what normal conditions are to understand El Nino. And for that, that was the sound of a paper because I- awesome drawing. Drawn. Diagram. I've drawn a diagram. Um, and we'll, of course, put this up on our uh, Instagram page and stuff. But this is the normal conditions. Now, in your head, imagine a map of the world. Can you picture South America? Mm -hmm. Okay. The northwestern coast of that is Peru. Okay. So think about the waters off the coast of Peru. Then go all the way in your mind to the west to New Guinea, which is north of Australia. Okay, you got that map in your head? Got it. Okay, so the Pacific Ocean from that distance is about 9,500 miles. That is a long distance. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of water. Think of the gallons of water that that is. So uh, normal conditions are when we've got those trade winds. Trade winds are constant winds that flow from east to west off the coast of Peru 
all the way out to New Guinea. They're called trade winds because sailing ships used to use those to trade goods. They would tack onto those winds and let them just guide them to the west. So they're called trade winds. Now what those trade winds do is they push water across the ocean over that 9,500 miles. And as that water is pushed to the west, it warms up. That warm water sinks closer to New Guinea and Australia. And then as it goes back to the east, closer to South America, it really cools down and becomes cold water. Now, fishermen off of the coast of Peru and South America would constantly notice that there was this rich upwelling of cold water. Nutrients dwell in those rich upwellings of cold water. And so fish go and they go crazy and yeah. they love those nutrients. So fishermen would rely constantly on this cold, dense, rich water that had lots of fish. So I'd be happy fishermen, okay? Yes. So that's the normal conditions. Okay. You've got cold upwelling on the coast of Peru and you've got warm water out toward Australia. Now something to note is that um, warm water does a really great job of producing thunderstorms. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you have warm water, you cause evaporation and that produces constant thunderstorms along the equator. Uh, and those thunderstorms really focused closer to Australia under normal conditions, because remember you got that cold water near Peru. What El Nino is, is it is an unexplainable change in those trade winds. The trade winds guide that warm water to the west, but El Nino is an unexplainable weakening of the trade winds. So without those trade winds moving from east to west, the warm water ends up being stagnant instead of moving okay. off to the west. And so what would happen every now and then is fishermen on the coast of Peru would notice that that dense cold upwelling was not happening and the fishing season was really bad. They would also notice that the water was a lot warmer at the surface, and as a result of that, there was a lot more thunderstorm activity okay. near them. So every so often, they would be really sad and honestly hungry because they relied on the fish. Yeah. And they would notice, man, the fish aren't here. There's all this stormy weather. It's flooding a lot now. And the reason why they called it El Nino is because they would notice it happening right around the time of Christmas. Mm -hmm. El Nino does not just mean the Nino, it means the boy or the Christ child. So wow. they would be like, man, it's Christmas time and um, we just celebrated Jesus's birthday, but we didn't get any presents in the form of fish, and instead we got a lot of storms. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's El Nino, okay? So that's kind of what the, the name of El Nino means, and what it does, it creates warm water closer to the coast of South America, prevents there from being a good fishing season, mm -hmm. and allows, this is important part, allows for a lot more thunderstorm activity near uh, Peru. Cool. So the interesting thing about El Nino is people have often asked me, 
well, when do we know the next El Nino is going to come? Uh, when is it going to affect us? And the thing is, we cannot predict El Nino. It is irregular. Mm -hmm. When this change in the weakening of the trade winds and the warming of the water, it is totally irregular. It happens every two to seven years, which is a large time spread, okay? Mm -hmm. It's not like something that happens every two years. Think about that. It's crazy. Two to seven years. And if El Nino happens, it usually lasts about eight to ten months, so it lasts for a while too. All we can do though, because we can't predict when it's going to happen, is observe if the waters are getting warmer or colder. So they set up a buoy system from uh, uh, Peru, South America, all the way out to Australia, and they take those temperatures and they observe. So NOAA says that we are in an El Nino or not if there is a half degree Celsius change in what is normal over okay. a three month period. That is a weak El Nino. For those of us who don't know, half degree Celsius is about a degree Fahrenheit change, which really isn't that much when you think about it, but the waters over the equator just don't change in temperature that much. So mm -hmm. a degree change in Fahrenheit is a big signal that we're seeing, hey, El Nino is happening. At least that's a weak one. If you want a strong El Nino, that's a degree and a half Celsius change or closer to two and a half degree Fahrenheit change. Okay. And speaking of the history of El Nino, when the fishermen would notice the warm water before we had science experiments and stuff, that would be a case of strong El Nino because mm -hmm. they would really notice the difference in temperature. Uh, now we still see effect from a weak El Nino, but it wasn't really until we had scientific instruments out there that we could understand, oh, this is just going to be a weak one rather than a strong one. And unfortunately, historical data only goes back to about 1950. Uh, but inferences can be made from like firsthand accounts of people back in the day taking notes of, hey, the water was warmer. Sure. Uh, they can do ice drill cores to see climate differences in the years past and make inferences on if there was a strong El Nino. So Katie, you're going to talk about how El Nino affects the weather across the world today. But I did want to just mention some history, yeah. if that's OK with yeah. you. Uh, do you have any questions of El Nino so far of what I explained? No. No? Okay, cool. Mm -mm. Okay, so the Moche people were people who flourished in Peru. We've been talking about Peru and South America from 100 to 700 AD, so pre-Columbian. So before Col Columbus went out there and was like, hey, this is our land, and that's we won't talk about that. That's a little problematic. But the Moche people were people who flourished in Peru from uh, 100 to 700 AD. They dealt intimately with the impacts of El Nino. They were fishermen. Uh, they uh, had land that they harvested. So during strong El Nino events, flooding in Peru is likely, and so it's thought that the extinction of the Moche people results from an extreme amount of flooding. The thing that happens with El Nino is once El Nino happens, a strong El Nino happens, the opposite of that happens fairly soon after. Mm -hmm. We call that La Nina when the uh, waters are much colder than average. So they would deal with tons of flooding from a strong El Nino and then 
drastic famine yeah. from uh, from a La Nina. So that is believed to have led to their extinction, extinction, which is pretty fascinating. I found some really cool um, moche artifacts that will show from the moche people. Uh, other evidence also points to a very strong El Nino between 1789 and 1793, which may have caused low crop production in Europe, possibly fueling the French Revolution. Wow. Which is crazy to think about, right? Because yeah. the French people, you know, they were repressed and the monarchy was living uh, off of opulence. And so they were like, well, we're not even eating now. Mm -hmm. So French Revolution, let's go. <laughs> Okay, and then finally, uh, something also interesting that I found is that in 1876, there was a famine in North China that killed up to 13 million people. And ah. it's, in, it's ex explained one way by El Nino, a strong El Nino, which had a global impact. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Again, if you have any questions about El Nino, you can always reach out to us mm -hmm. about it. It's hard to kind of explain everything in just this short amount of time. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, so like your historical events, spell out very clearly it's not just impacts felt there on the coast of Peru yeah. or in North America. It's a, a worldwide thing and we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm going to focus mainly on the impacts to North America. Now that includes Canada, the continental U.S. and also Mexico and the Caribbean as well because we're going to get into a lot of different things here. So like Sarah was saying, we've got that warm warm water building up off the coast of Peru. So what happens with that warm water is that creates the, helps to create the storminess that Sarah was talking about. So thunderstorm showers all developing right there. And what that kind of translates to when we're talking about kind of bigger scale weather systems is low pressure that develops due to that warm water just kind of bubbling up right there. And low pressure systems are what bring us our rainy, stormy periods of weather yeah. also typically cooler temperatures mm -hmm. possibly because of the fronts attached to those low pressure systems and because it's raining and that will make temperatures a little bit cooler so when you think low pressure we typically think wetter and cooler conditions so as that warm water is creating this low pressure um, in the eastern pacific ocean so we're talking off the coast of of mexico baja california yeah. right there um, so just off to the west of that, we have this low pressure developing. And, and this, these low pressure systems, so periods of storminess, cooler conditions, they slide off to the east and affect the southern part of the United States. Right. So maybe you can kind of visualize that. So we've got this low pressure here and it slides east across the desert southwest, across Texas, and eventually across the southeastern United States. So that warm water is just creating this um, kind of constant area of low pressure that then sends these storm systems across the southern half of the U.S. Sometimes they do affect northern Mexico, but um, to kind of keep it a little bit easier to visualize yeah. here, you know, the southern the southern part of the United States. So that's what happens when we're in in an El Nino. So would it, sorry to interrupt, would it be yeah. fair to say that in a typical El Nino pattern here in San Antonio, Texas, we will likely get more storms? Yeah. Okay. It, when we, when we talk a, 
strong El Nino, we're looking at cooler and wetter conditions. Yeah. And I want to go back to what you were talking about. They started calling it El Nino yeah. for the boy's child because it was happening around Christmas. And both El Nino and La Nina, they tend to peak between December and January in any given year. And that's when the effects are generally felt in the winter and then into the early spring a little bit. Right. Um, so that goes right along with what you were saying. It was happening around Christmas time, and so that's why we've got the Christ child, all of that. Um, However, El Nino and La Nina can have effects on other seasons, such as monsoon season and hurricane season here in the U.S., and we'll talk about that. But first, I want to kind of give an overview on El Nino's influence on North American weather patterns. Okay. Um, because that's what you'll find a lot, of, a lot of information on, and that can kind of help us here in Texas and really anywhere across the country to an idea of how this may affect your weather. Um, so we're going to talk about during the winter, so December to early March. So we're okay. talking winter through like early spring. So an amplified subtropical jet stream, that's that low pressure. I was talking about that kind of persistent area of low pressure. Yeah, that is the thing that determines our weather, right? Yeah. The jet stream and that low pressure. Yeah, so we've got the subtropical jet stream that comes in you can almost kind of visualize it like picking up that low pressure and sending it east. Right. So sending it over the southern U.S. And so that that pattern is just continuous as El Nino is going on. Um, so the jet stream is bringing cooler and wetter conditions to the southern United States from west to east coast. Warmer and drier conditions will prevail over the northern United States, especially from the Great Lakes over to the west coast. So okay, so while we deal with the the, the rain and the storminess. Yes. P folks to the north of us are a little bit drier. Yes. So, and this kind of, we talk about the jet stream, but there are kind of two kinds of jet streams you can talk about, the subtropical jet stream and then the polar jet stream. So when we're in winter, the polar jet stream is typically fairly active because that's what drops down all the Arctic air. You know, yeah. the, the polar vortex, all that kind of stuff. This is the polar jet stream bringing in truly Arctic air. So that is still cranking. It's just cranking further north. Oh, I see. So it doesn't allow for that colder air to drop down as far south. Okay. So that's still happening, but El Nino cranks that subtropical jet stream up and that's what carries these wetter and colder conditions over the southern U.S. Got it. So that's why we stay wetter and cooler the southern half of the country, and then off to the north they stay a little bit, a little bit drier and warmer. So that's during winter, so December to cool. early March. Got to flip my page over here. Okay. So now we're going to kind of break it down over different parts of the country. So the southeastern U.S. I think East Texas fits into this, but when I'm when I say the southeastern United States, I'm kind of talking more Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida Panhandle, that area nice. of the country. So with an increase in the frequency of low pressure systems or storm systems, those are what that subtropical jet is carrying over the southern US, um, this increases the potential for rainfall, certainly. Specifically over the southeastern United States, so places like Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, their proximity to the Gulf of Mexico increases the potential for severe weather. So they've okay. got these storm systems that are coming across. That's, that's one aspect of severe weather. But another aspect of severe weather is you've, you've got to have some really humid air in place. 
that's what can really crank up the threat for severe weather or the intensity. And those, the Gulf Coast states, I mean, Texas yeah. is kind of included in that, but the Gulf Coast states, you know, typically are very humid and they're right there near the water. So as those storm systems move over this humid air in the southeastern United States, that's why they sometimes see an uptick in severe weather events. So if I'm living in Mississippi and NOAA is like, hey, there's gonna be a strong El Nino this uh, season, I should expect uh, more rain. Yes. And I should expect to potentially see tornadoes yeah. or hail yeah. more often. Yes. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. So, and, and parts of like East Texas would be included in that, I think, and even like the Houston area. Um, San Antonio and South Texas, there's part of that I think that would play into it, but a lot of the a lot of the low pressure systems that that jet streams in, they really don't start to get cranked up until they get further east. Yeah, that's right. So east of Texas. So that's why this doesn't really apply. It can apply to parts of Texas. We see that all the time, Katie, too, where it just barely rains here in San Antonio, and then give it an hour, and it's like blown up over the Houston area. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what happens with the, the southeastern U.S. We're going to go a little bit further west to the desert southwest. So our friends in Arizona and New Mexico, that part of the country. Um, and this is according to the climate assessment for the southwest. This is a... you got to um, say it with a nerdy accent. Climate assessment for the southwest. That's good. I'm sure they're not nerds. I'm sure, I'm they're, sure they're great. I'm sure We're they're all cool nerds. cats. Um, El Nino events can affect the start of their monsoon season Oh, in parts of the desert southwest. So the subtropical high that is over the Pacific normally during normal conditions, that's responsible for cranking in a lot of the moisture that contributes to the monsoon season there in the desert southwest. So when we've got El Nino in place, instead of that subtropical high, we've got that low that pretty persistent low pressure. So that doesn't allow for the moisture to stream into the desert southwest, and that can hinder or delay the start of monsoon season for that part of the country. Cool. Because if they don't have that moisture, it's so dry there. So yeah. if they're not getting any moisture cranked in, um, monsoon season gets delayed or can't start. Getting into drought real quick. Yeah, cool. so those are some kind of specific examples. And again, you would you would really feel, I think, the effects of these in a strong El Nino. Yeah. When the change is greater than a degree and a half centigrade Celsius yeah. or uh, two and a half degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So that's when maybe these parts of the country would, you know, be preparing for, for something like that Yeah. Um, during a strong El Nino. Okay. So we mentioned that El Nino and La Nina, they kind of get cranked up during the winter, early spring. So what about fall and summer? Yeah, what about What's those? happening? What about it? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna well, talk thank about you, it. Katie. This is actually, I kind of learned something here. So as we get into the summer months, the polar jet stream starts to retreat north and we stop getting those big cold fronts. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the subtropical jet stream also becomes much weaker during the summer months. So the subtropical jet stream is again during El Nino what cranks in those those low pressure systems. But once we get into the warmer months, there's not as much of a change in temperature between um, between land at the equator and land at the mid latitude. So mid latitudes being like North Here. America. Yeah. Um, during the winter, it's much warmer down at the equator. Yep. 
than it is over North America. That creates a temperature gradient, and that's part of what cranks that subtropical jet yep. stream up. Yeah. Um, so when we get into summer, that temperature gradient is there, but it's not as pronounced. So this causes the subtropical jet stream to become much, much weaker. Got it. Um, so that's what happens during the during the summer and into the early part of fall. So it can be drier in the summer then? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, because we get the polar jet stream retreats north that keeps all the, the cold air north and then the subtropical jet stream weakens. It's still there, but it weakens a lot. Um, so that's why it, it doesn't play a role in North American weather patterns during the summer and then into the early part of the fall. So I that's see. why if we're expecting effects from a strong El Nino, it'll be felt winter and into early spring. Got it. Once we get into summer, the warmer months, those effects will start to back off just a little bit. Um, and that was through some good information via a Penn State meteorology website. Thanks, Penn school. State. We love in. you. Um, however, into fall and um, summer and early fall, that is the time of the year when El Nino or La Nina could begin to develop, and we could see the impacts that coming. Yeah, that, that and coming. El Nino again typically lasts about uh, eight to ten months, so it does last through the summer. We just don't see the effects. Yeah. So that makes sense. Okay. Oh, this is the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Um, I said, speaking of summer and fall, let's talk hurricane season. Whoop, whoop. Da, da, da. In the Atlantic Basin, and keep it in mind, there are, excuse me, good night. Um, Get a there little are, burp. There are Got a little two, burpy. <laughs> <laughs> there are two, I told you I had to wet my whistle That's earlier. That's okay. Oh my goodness. Um, there are two basins that we talk about when it comes to hurricane season. The Pacific Basin, which is the Pacific Ocean, and then the Atlantic Basin, and that's what, here in Texas, we always pay a little more attention to because that's the Atlantic Ocean, the Caribbean, and the Gulf of Mexico. Right. Very close to home. So for the Atlantic Basin, um, that season runs from June 1st to November 30th. That is half the year. Yep. It's a long time. So it makes sense that at least part of the season would be affected by a strong El Nino. Yeah, I mean, the waters itself are being warmed. Yeah, and you talked about how important the, the water is. And there's yeah ton of water out in the Atlantic Basin. So in general, it's an accepted fact that El Nino suppresses tropical development in the Atlantic, but increases tropical development in the Pacific. That makes sense. Yeah. So it all has to do with vertical wind shear. So what okay. is that? Yeah. Wind shear. This is, you guys are getting so much education today. <laughs> We're talking lot. about El Nino and wind shear, which are things that, you know, we really only learn in college. Gosh, I know. I was like, wind shear, really? Yeah. Um, Wind shear is just a change in wind direction with height, and this can affect how tall and powerful storms can get, because if a storm can really grow and become very tall, that will typically be a stronger storm. Uh, and this even applies to thunderstorms. Yeah, just plain old thunderstorms. They can grow really tall, and then those are the storms that can produce hail, stronger mm -hmm. winds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what happens in, an, in a strong El Nino especially is that there is more vertical wind shear in the Atlantic Ocean. Those, so there's more of a change in wind direction with height, and that affects the development of tropical systems. So those waves that come off of the coast of Africa that we always talk about, they're fighting this wind shear in the Atlantic. And so they're, they're fighting, they're fighting, and they have a really hard time, if there's a lot of wind shear, being yeah. able to grow. Um, and so they can't grow, they can't develop, and it 
the system can't form properly. And so there are fewer tropical depressions, tropical storms, mm -hmm. and hurricanes. The way I like to think about it, okay, so it's wind shear. And you know the you know how you have shears, like scissors? Yeah. Shears? Okay. If you have too much shear, it'll cut off the system. Yeah. I mean, and they prevent it from developing. They can't, and we'll include this good little picture here because it, it almost shows like a storm being pushed over yeah. because there's too much wind shear. It can't cut. sustain itself. Shear. Cutcha. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> On the flip side, El Nino produces less wind shear in the Pacific and the water is warmer. Yep. Both of those things can contribute to more tropical development in the Pacific Ocean, the waters close to Hawaii, That's the west coast recipe. of Mexico. Yes, yeah, so this causes more tropical depressions, tropical storms, and hurricanes in the Pacific. It's a perfect recipe for hurricanes, like the Ghirardelli brownie recipe, and the Atlantic is like the, yes. um, uh, what's a crappy brownie it, brand? I don't know if there is one. It got, it just, they just got burnt. It's a generic. They got burnt. They tried to cook too long. They yeah. got burnt. That sounds good. <laughs> they got burnt. Yeah, so analogies. that's something really interesting, and we've got some stats in here, um, and and we'll share sources and everything. But they went through and looked at the Atlantic and the the Eastern Pacific Ocean because that's mm -hmm. mainly where we see these systems start to develop. And so for the Atlantic, her let's just pick hurricanes. Now let's pick name storm. So name storm. So that could be a depression storm. Yeah. Da -da. On average in the Atlantic Basin, 9.4 name storms. In an El Nino year, they took the average of several different El Nino events, 7.1. Okay. So that goes down. Goes all down. the numbers go down when we have El Nino. But then you go to the Pacific and all the numbers go up nice. in an El Nino year. So that's the effect that... El Nino can have on hurricane season. That's awesome. So there are, the, it's, yeah, I, I like to think of it as a ripple effect because yeah. it's one thing that's happening there off the coast of Peru. They see effects from it, mm -hmm. but then it's up here at totally. home, hurricane season. Thanks, Katie, that was really helpful. So like in summary, we get a stormier winter and spring in South Texas. Mm -hmm but we can expect possibly a weaker and not as active Atlantic hurricane season here. Yeah. I would like to caution people though, and all it takes is one really bad hurricane yes. to perceive the season as being bad or good. Yes. So just keep that in mind. It's all about your perspective. And that was really interesting. Thanks. And what's crazy, can I add one more thing? No. No, you're we're not done. Yes, we're, done. we're totally done. And when you, yeah, and when you think about um, El Nino, you know, and I'm sure we're, we're gonna now we have to do a podcast over La Nina. Yeah, eventually. but when you when you hear those those terms, it's not something that you can look outside and say, oh, El Nino's here. Mm -hmm. No, it's happening over long time scales and also over physically, you know. It's originating there in Peru, that phenomenon, but the yeah. impacts through the atmosphere being carried over very large physical scales as well. So right. I think an example I would give is that, you know, for places in in the southeast, you know, we we're talking about the severe weather. Um, some of their severe weather outbreaks can be tied back to stronger El Ninos. Yeah, which makes sense. But that's something that people have to 
look back at years later exactly. and kind of tie the two together. So it's not something that, yeah, it's not something that, like you said, we can't really predict. We can't predict it. It's irregular and we just have to observe it and make inferences and use our scientific brains. I would like to say something too. It, people often hear the word El Nino and sometimes associate it with climate change. Mm -hmm. uh, and climate change, you know, hot topic issue that we're not gonna get into just yet, but climate change has been so politicized that when you say something like El Nino or something, people instantly want to, you know, go to climate change. There have been several studies in El Nino and climate change they have nothing to do with one another. Yeah. El Nino is already happening. It's been happening for years. Uh, in, in the scientific world, we understand that. Mm -hmm. In the political world, it gets a little bit muddied. So just trust when we say, or when Noah says that there's gonna be a weak or strong El Nino season, uh, that that's not tied to climate change. Yeah, okay. good point. Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit now about interesting things that have happened to us over the past couple of weeks or so as far as TV. I was able to take a vacation, which I was very grateful for. How was it? Did you get to yeah, I got, unplug? I got to spend a lot of time with my grandfather and we drove across the state of Texas and it was just, it was really fun. So, Grandpas yeah. are the best. Yeah, uh, they are the best. And when I came back to work, couple days ago, I was filling in for Adam, our uh, co-worker, and I start seeing all these notifications, like Sarah Spivey has been tagged in a photo, Sarah Spivey has been tagged in a photo. The photo that I was tagged in, that viewers and fans had tagged me in, was a, um, was a screenshot of these people that were stealing things from a grocery store, H-E-B, and the g woman looks exactly like me. She really does. Like it's in odd. the face. Mm -hmm. In the face, she looks exact. I looked at it and I was like, oh my gosh, this looks exactly like me. <laughs> what, what happened? But obviously I didn't steal anything, but we'll have to show you guys that picture because we'll she looks so post. much like me. It's creepy. So it just is funny to think about like pe we're visible. People know who we are. They know that I wouldn't be stealing, so it was like a jokey thing. But and it, it was, was toilet just, paper. Was, I was, I was stealing toilet paper. My <laughs> doppelganger was stealing toilet well, paper. Well, Andy, she had you have shorter blonde hair, so did she this. She had woman. shorter blonde hair. It was like parted in the same way. She has the same like cheek structure as me. It was odd. It was weird. And her friend, who was a boy, who was also stealing, had a bag of pork rinds. Shame. In his hand. Shame. The pork rind and TP stealers at it again. <laughs> Couple bandits. Shame. Do not steal. Don't worry. Shame. I have plenty of toilet paper and I have plenty of pork rinds. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I won't have to steal them. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. What's new with you, Boo? What is new? So, I. One of the best things about having a lot of you know a lot of people on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram is that. You know, if you have a problem, we've got a lot of people that can help you. That's true. So, 
I've been through kind of two situations like this. The first was when my cat Theo got sick. This was probably about a year ago, a little I longer. Remember. Yeah, and we didn't know what was going on, and we kept taking him back to the vet, and they were like, I don't know. And so I finally went to my Facebook page, and I was like, please help. Has this happened to anybody else's cat? I don't know what to think. And people were so helpful. Yeah. And even if they didn't necessarily have, take them here or do this. They were still so nice. Yeah. And gosh, when there was something wrong with Theo, like the world stopped. And for months, for months, I mean, people still ask me, how's Theo? Like Aww. everybody wants to know how Theo is. So our He's healthy, right? He's good. Yeah, he's okay, fine. Good. He's good. He's 17.8 pounds. Oh, he's, he's really good. He's fine. Um, so that's, that's the great part about or one of the great parts about our job mm -hmm. is that, you know, we have this community of people on social media and while social media always has its drawbacks, you know, you have people there that like that like you, that like the station and they're they're great. And yes, so totally. my boyfriend got the flu last Aww, week. Womp womp Mark. Womp womp. Yeah. I was so I was so mad. I did I was in disbelief. He called me and I was like, No. I was like, did you go get checked? And he was like, of course I went and got, I was no, like, they did the test. Mad. You weren't mad at him, <laughs> no. you were mad at the flu. I was just like, really, we're doing this? Because we both got our sh shots and we won't go down that path. But, so he got the flu and I, that same day went and got my own prescription for Tamiflu because I didn't want to catch mm -hmm. it. So I was asking people, you know, so I spent the whole weekend and then the past two days, like trying to take care of him, but then also trying to not get the flu it, myself. That's hard. And so I asked people, I'm like, don't, you know, what are your best flu remedies? Cause for, you know, three days, he was just like, not like, he was at like 2%. <laughs> I got a flu remedy. A remedy? Yeah. yeah. So I asked people, I'm like, you know, I was like anything to like start shaking this up a little bit, you know, to mm -hmm. see some progress. And of course people, all their, <laughs> my favorite one, don't go kissing. That was your favorite one. No. Well, <laughs> yes, that was funny. Everybody was like, I have an idea. Break up with your boyfriend. I'm like, oh. Oh, my dear. It's so good. Funny. Couple comics. <laughs> but somebody was like, you need a, they're like, you need a Mexican grandma. I have two if you want to borrow one. Oh, that's was, cute. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, so that's what was really cool is I needed some help and our great viewers were there right away with their home remedies and there were some really good ones in there and I think they helped kind of nip it Nip it in the bud. So Yay. thank you to our yeah. great viewers. We love you viewers. And they're funny. They're funny. Like to tag me in that picture <laughs> of this woman stealing <laughs> toilet paper and pork rinds. You say that wasn't fun. you, but. Katie, look at me in the eye. It was not me. Is that part of your vacay? Part of my vacay was to be a delinquent. Yes. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> okay. No. But guys, you know, thanks so much. This was El Nino, whatever the weather. So pretty dense topic. I mean, we talked for about 40 minutes. Sorry. So pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, so if you have any more questions, make sure to uh, ask us. And you can always review, rate, and subscribe. And in the case of El Nino, in the case of climate, you've always got to weather, weather the weather, whatever, whatever the weather. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.